Um, so we've been, we've been working our way in the month of September. We have been working our way through some foundational things. There are some, some messages that I like to revisit. I, there's about a dozen that I'll kind of cycle through. I call them September sermons. Things that just help us with the foundation for what I think God wants to do in this upcoming year. Um, I've been really excited. You know, since I came back from vacation, I always come back with a sense of expectation and excitement. But, but this year, you know what? We've seen so many people in just the last few weeks, so many new people who are coming and, and like almost immediately connecting to our church. I love just getting to meet, you know, so many new people uh, in the lobby after every service. Uh, we've had a number of decisions for people to follow Jesus. We've got life groups that are getting going. We've had growth tracks happening. And just there's been a lot of life, a lot of stuff that's going on in the church. And so I like to talk about foundational things that we really need in place. So I talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, what it means for us to hunger and thirst for God. I talked last week or a couple of weeks ago about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the difference the Holy Spirit makes in our life. I talked last week about, um, about living a generous life and how that applies to every aspect of our life. And so today I want to talk about something really important. Something that's really foundational to who we are, what we're about, how we do things, with the goalposts that we have up, the, you know, the, what we're going for, and that is the Great Commission. What does it mean for us to be a Great Commission church? What does it mean for you to be part of the Great Commission? And so the Great Commission comes from the last words of Jesus that we have in the Gospels. I don't know if it was the last thing he said to his disciples. It was one of the last things. Matthew 28. I don't have the verse here for you because this was like I kind of was moving some things around after I already sent all the pro presenter slides to the authorities that deal with such things. So, uh, so Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so this was, if not the last, it was one of the last things he said to his disciples. Now, what's interesting is it was also, we know, the first thing that he said to some of his disciples, right? We know from... Uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. This is when Jesus first met Peter and Andrew. We know James and John were around at that time. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or other translations say, I will make you fishers of men. And so it's interesting that for Peter and Andrew, for sure, and some others, uh, the very first thing that Jesus said to them was, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The last thing he said to them was the Great Commission. Now, it's kind of surprising that this would be the first thing, because really what we would think, maybe the first thing that Jesus would say is he would say, you know what, if you follow me, I'm going to give you access to my heavenly father like you've never had before. Or if you follow me, you're going to see some really cool stuff. I'm going to heal a lot of people. Or you're going to be really holy. Or you're going to have eternal life. You know, these are the things that we would expect. But he didn't say that. He said, if you follow me, you're going to become fishers of men. And so what is our strategy as a church? What role do you play? And because really what it is we're talking about is, is the reality that, that we have found life with Jesus. So many of you, maybe not all of you, 
But so many of you would say, you know what? The most powerful thing, the most life-changing thing that I've experienced is the love of Jesus. I've seen the love of Jesus. I've experienced the love of Jesus. The, the blinders came off of my eyes, and I saw it clearly like never before, and it's changed my life. It's brought hope. It's brought joy. It's brought peace. It's brought strength. And so what it means to be part of the Great Commission is that we want people to experience the life-giving relationship with Jesus that we've experienced, right? We found something that has made a difference, that's transformed our lives, and we want other people to know Jesus. And so what I'm going to look at today is a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to go verse by verse through this passage because Paul is laying out to the Corinthian Christians what it means for them to be part of the Great Commission, what it means for them to be a Great Commission church. And so when Paul wrote this book to the Corinthians, there was a lot of stuff going on. We know that what Paul would do is he would travel around from city to city. He would be in a city for a while and he would preach the gospel and he would heal people and he'd gather some leaders and he'd, he'd be there sometimes for a year or two. And then he would go off to another city after raising up leaders. So now there's a church. And then he would go back and visit and he would write letters. And so many of the epistles that we have, so much of the New Testament is Paul writing letters to churches he had a relationship with. And that's what's going on in 2 Corinthians. It's a, it's a, we, we have two letters that he wrote to the Corinthian church. And there was a, there was a lot of stuff that was going on in this letter, in the, second, in the letter to the, the 2 Corinthians, letter to the Corinthian church. He's defending his apostleship. He kind of didn't want to do that, but there were some agitators who came in who were kind of, you know, talking smack and giving him a hard time. So he had to say, listen, you know what? God called me to do this because people were saying, don't listen to Paul. What does he know? He was dealing with some sketchy stuff that was going on in the church. There were some sin issues that the church wasn't dealing with. So he was giving direction about that. But one of the primary things that he's doing in, in 2 Corinthians is he's encouraging the church to represent Jesus well. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. He says, Christ's love compels us, right? It compels us for we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. And so it's the reason that we engage with the Great Commission. The reason that we seek to be fishers of men is because we've been arrested by the love of Jesus, right? And so we sing about the love of Jesus and we celebrate the love of Jesus and the, the joy and the life and the peace that he gives us. But because of that, we understand that it's not just for us, right? For God so loved the whole world that he gave his son. And so we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and rose again. Right? So it's no longer about our agenda. It's no longer about our priorities. It's no longer about what we want. It becomes more and more about his agenda. It becomes about his priorities. It becomes about what he wants. And we don't live for ourselves. We live for him. And so what Paul does in this, in this brief section of scripture is he walks the Corinthians through why and how they can be better ambassadors or better representatives of Jesus. And so I've got a, it's actually a pretty simple structure uh, this morning that I want to walk you through with. I have three main points that really follow the text. You know, they follow the flow of the text. If you have your app, you can open up the app and you can go find the fill in the blank notes and all the scripture passages. But the first thing is this. We need to realize that we have a new perspective. Right? If we've been arrested by the love of Jesus, we have a new perspective. Verse 16, from now on, 
We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And what this means is that once we get arrested by the love of Jesus, we look at people differently. Right? We have a new perspective. We, don't, we used to have a worldly way of looking things, but now we look through things through different lenses. Now we have a different perspective. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, he breaks down a little bit you know, how we view things differently. He says this in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so these new lenses, this new perspective that we have, first of all, it changes the way we think about race and ethnic division. Because he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And so that means there's neither black or white, there's neither Asian or Latino. Now what Paul isn't saying here is that our cultural distinctives don't matter. Because they do matter. We know that they matter. We celebrate them here. We have our cultural celebration dinner. We actually know uh, from the book of Revelation that John had this revelation, this picture of heaven, of what's going to happen in the future. And he was able to see that people before the throne were representing every tribe, every language, every tongue. So apparently ethnic differences, that they're so much a part of who we are and how God has made us, that they're going to carry over into the world to come. But what it does mean, though, and what we need to understand is that because of Jesus and because of what he's done in our life and because of the way we've been arrested by his love, our, our ethnicity is no longer the major identity marker that we have. Let me say what, you know, I've, I've read over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of books that have been written about race relations if we, as we've tried to deal with a lot of the race issues and, and face them and, and move forward. One of the things, there's been some really helpful books and you know, helpful things in a lot of these books, but one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again, which I don't agree with, is that, that your race or your ethnicity is your primary identity marker, that that's the main thing. Now, I believe it's really important, and I think that Jesus and Paul like, teaches that it's really important, but if you are in Jesus, it is no longer your primary identity marker. You have another identity marker. You have another identity marker that trumps all of the other identity markers. And that identity marker is that you are now a son of God. You are now a daughter of God. You have been adopted into his family. Jesus Christ is your brother. And you are now a co-heir with Christ. And so that changes, that changes everything. And the reason, even as you look around and you're able to see how we as a church, and I'm so thankful for this, we get to be a picture of heaven every single week because we have, you know, over 70 different nationalities that are represented in our church. And it's because we can come together. It seems like so often when the world talks about race, the result is it, it pushes people further apart. But because our primary identity marker is Jesus Christ, and we've been arrested by his love, we can come together and we can worship him and we can share our culture and we can share our stories and we can share our food because our eyes are on Jesus. 
right? It makes all the difference. You have a new perspective. He breaks down some other things here. Here he talks about being neither slave nor free. Now that actually isn't dealing with race because in Paul's time, slavery wasn't dependent upon race. It was really more about class. It was really more a comment like there's neither rich nor poor because the slaves were very poor. And then if you were free, you had more, you know, economic mobility in your life. And so what he's saying here is like that a different lens is that we no longer make the distinctions between rich and poor. Because listen, the reality is we, we tend to be more comfortable with people who are in the same tax bracket as us, right? I mean, if you go to, if you're part of a country club, you hang out with other people who are part of the country club. If you uh, live in a certain apartment complex, you hang out with people in, the, in that apartment complex. Or, or you are, are with people who have the same degree of education that you have or, or the same socioeconomic level. But because of Jesus, those distinctions no longer matter. It's a new perspective. We realize that it gets flipped around. We're actually to, to bless, look to how we can bless the poor in any way that we possibly can. And we realize that, that those distinctions are no longer valid with this new perspective. He talks about there's neither male nor female. Now, I could, I could have a whole separate message about this, but I just want you to know, uh, if you're wondering, maybe coming from a different church, you'll hear women preach here in the vineyard. We have, we have women who are senior pastors. We have women who, are, who have national leadership in the vineyard. We believe that there's been this redemptive progression where God has taken broken humanity in the ways that women have been subjugated, that God is little by little by little restoring the kingdom perspective. And what the kingdom perspective is, that yes, God made us male and female and there are distinctions, but as far as value, as far as ministry opportunities, the gifted and the called get to serve. And so there is no, there's neither male nor female for we're all one in Jesus. And, uh, you know, that just to, just to clarify that again, there's so much more I could say about this. And I think there's something else that we can realize about this new perspective. And this is where, you know, I might get some emails, but I'm going to say it anyway. Political divisions. See, this is a big one, and I tell you, it's getting bigger. I'm just seeing more and more this huge divide in our country between political differences, and we have midterms that are coming up, and, and it, I just think it's going to keep getting worse. But we need a new perspective. You see, we need different lenses. And what this means, let me just try to break this down as basically as I can. Let's say you have a friend, somebody that you work with, and maybe you're a Republican, and you vote Republican, but they're a Democrat. Right? The, the number one need in their life, the primary objective as you get to know them and as you befriend them, is not that you get them to change the way they vote. Their primary need in life is that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Right? And so if you're a Democrat and you have a friend who's a Republican, that person's primary need is not to change the way they vote. Their primary need is that they come into a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the thing that matters most. And you may say, you know, amen. Yes, that's right, Phil. That's so obvious. Why are you saying this? Well, I'm saying this because I've seen some Facebook posts. And I've seen some ways that, that Christians engage with the world and what Christians put out on social media and what the language is. And it sometimes seems to me that we got this backwards, that we think the most important thing is that people change the way that they vote when the most important thing is that people come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And we don't want to put up any barrier that'll keep people from coming into a life-giving relationship with Jesus other than the barrier of the cross. That's the only one. 
And so, so what Paul says here is we need to have a different perspective. He, he says in another place, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says, for this world in its present form is passing away. And so what that means is all of the distinctions that we come up with, they're temporary. They're passing away. Rich and poor, those distinctions passing away. Right? Uh, uh, political parties passing away. Great businesses that have been built passing away. Kingdoms passing away. It's all temporary. The only thing that you're going to encounter today, the only thing that you're going to come up against today, you're going to interact with today that is eternal are the people that you meet. Are the people sitting to your left, sitting to your right, the people that you're going to engage with, the people that you're going to meet, they are the ones who are eternal. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is passing away. And so if we're going to be a Great Commission church, we need a new perspective, right? We need new glasses. We need a new way of looking at the world. The second thing is this. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on, and this is, you know, right into the next verse. He says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I want you to see how many times in this passage the word reconciliation is used. It's used four different times, right? We've been reconciled to God. We have experienced the, the purpose, the peace, the healing, the forgiveness, the eternal life that's found in Jesus. And so now, because we're reconciled, we understand that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you are here today because someone in your life took seriously that they were given the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody told you about Jesus, right? And, and who knows, we all have so many different stories. Maybe it was multiple people, whatever it was. But somebody told you about Jesus, and because they embraced the ministry of reconciliation, you now have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And the reason they were able to tell you is because somebody told them. And the reason that person was able to tell them is because somebody told them. And you could go back, you know, generation to generation to generation to generation for 2,000 years. There's been a Great Commission superhighway that goes all the way back to Jesus. And because of this Great Commission superhighway, because people have taken serious this ministry of reconciliation that we're called to, you and I are here today. And so what we need, and this is, you know, it's amazing when you think about the power of the gospel. Like here's something that I believe absolutely down to my core. You know, every now and then people will say to me like, Phil, I like when you preach. It's like you actually believe this stuff. And I, I, I do. I like, I drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know if I should even, that's probably not appropriate in church. But I believe this stuff. And I believe there is nothing as powerful as the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can, there's no force, there's no movement, there's no nothing that is as powerful as the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform a life. I've seen it over and over and over again. I know from some of your stories, some of your testimonies, there's no way, if it wasn't how many of you would say, if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus, I don't even think I'd be alive right now? See, I, I would say that. 
I don't think, I think I would have been taken out drunk driving. I would have done something. I don't know what. But I don't know if I'd be here right now if it wasn't for the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? There's nothing like the gospel. And so for 2,000 years, kingdoms have come and gone. The church has gone through dark periods of corruption. There's been all sorts of things happen. But people, through the last 2,000 years, oftentimes risking their life, oftentimes giving their life, said, I have been given a ministry of reconciliation, and so I'm going to get on with it. And so I want to encourage us, and I want to remind us, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And you know what? There's been this Great Commission superhighway. What I want to make sure in our church and in our generation, it doesn't turn into a Great Commission dead end. And I'm a little bit worried. Some of the things that concern me is that I saw this Gallup poll, you know, a couple years ago, that, that said 51% of young Christians, people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, 51% don't think it's important for them to share their faith with other people. 50, more than half. More than half of young Christians say, yeah, you know, the Great Commission, I don't think it's that great. I don't think it's that important. Maybe it's not politically correct. Maybe I might offend someone. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not going to do it. The other thing that concerns me is that I see this trend in, in American Christianity where the church is kind of the vendor of religious goods and services, right? Where it's like you go to church to get your needs met. And so maybe you come to this church and you're like, they got a nice building and they got a good worship team and the, the preacher, he's a little long, but he's not so bad. Uh, they got, we got bagels, my kids love it. And all that stuff is good, right? I mean, there's stuff that you get out of it. But, but the church is, we're not like religious Walmart, right? We're not like the vendor of religious goods and services. We've been given a commission, right? We've been given a ministry. And so Jesus, I, I, I all the time talk about how Jesus wants to give you abundant life. Jesus wants to meet your needs. He does because he's the good shepherd. And so he cares for his sheep. He wants to bring his forgiveness into your life. He wants to bring his peace. He wants to bring his purpose. He wants to bring his strength. He wants to bring his joy. He wants to bring all of that. But what we need to realize is that as he works in our life. We become a link in a chain to help connect more people to Jesus. Right? I talk all the time about purpose. And I was reminded of this. You know, I talked to someone a couple uh, last week at the, at the Hype in the Kingdom service, this young guy. 21-year-old guy, he came to Alpha when I was leading Alpha back in the spring. And he'd never been to the church before. Really, I don't think he'd been exposed to Christianity. And he gave his life to Jesus. And then during our Holy Spirit weekend, he had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit that really, you can just see in his face, it just made all the difference in the world. And, and so I hadn't seen him for most of the summer because I was away and he was away. So I saw him last week and he was so excited. And he was just like, you know, Pastor Phil, I just got to tell you, ever since Alpha, ever since, you know, that Holy Spirit weekend, I've been different. And he was so excited because I guess before that he was kind of aimless. He wasn't going to college. He didn't know what he was going to do. And he was saying, now I'm, I'm, building a, I'm building a business and I'm trying to learn this industry and I have a mentor and I'm so excited. And he, he was like, you know, trying to build a great life for himself. And he, and he really pinned it back to the encounter he had with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And see, 
Jesus will do that. Jesus transforms our whole life. And so you follow Jesus. Like I always say, Jesus makes life better, makes you better at life. He'll, he'll help you come into the career that you have. He'll help your family. He'll help you in all sorts of ways because he loves you and he's for you. You're his children. But he also will connect you. He'll also make you realize how God wants to use you to be part of that Great Commission superhighway because you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And so there are people that are going to come across your path. There are going to be doors that open up for you. There's going to be rooms that you find yourself in where you need to realize that you are not just there representing your interests. You are, what Paul goes on to say, you are an ambassador, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He goes on, 2 Corinthians 5.20, the next verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When is the last time that you thought of yourself as an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven? That Jesus is making his appeal to others through you. And that appeal isn't just like, oh, Joe's such a nice guy. I wonder why Joe is such a nice guy. The appeal is be reconciled to God. And so we take seriously what it means for us to be his ambassadors, for us to represent another kingdom, for us to realize as a church that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, for us as individuals, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're part of a kingdom. We are part... We are ambassadors. You are an ambassador for the only kingdom that is here on earth in any form that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. You are an ambassador for an eternal kingdom. And so, so we realize that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. The last thing is this. What Paul does, what he always does, is he brings it back to the cross. He brings it back to the cross. The cross changes everything, right? The love of Christ compels us. The cross changes everything. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you've heard me say this verse before. I love this verse because I feel like it really captures the power of the gospel. I've got, I've got a, about a dozen verses that are deep in my head that when I, you know, when I step in front of my notes and I'm kind of doing this, I'm kind of freestyling, and so I'm kind of going with verses that pop up. This one pops up quite a bit because I think it's such a foundational verse. And so what this is saying, what Jesus has done, right? He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is Jesus had all the righteousness, Right, Paul's actually, he's using like banking terms here. He's kind of, you know, appealing to some banking structures and things that the Corinthians would have been familiar with. And he's saying, okay, here's what it's like, right? Jesus has all the righteousness. In his account is like $10 quadrillion of righteousness. Or in his account is righteousness infinity. He's got it all. Righteousness simply means right standing with God, right? So Jesus and the Father, they were good. Right? He was the beloved son. He's at the right hand of the father. Jesus had all the righteousness. Now we, not so much. Right? Our sins separated us from God. Not only did we not have righteousness, we had a debt we couldn't pay. In our account, you know, we owed like five million bucks. Like something that was like, we can't pay that back. Or ten million, whatever it is. We can't, we can't possibly bring the, pay that back. And so what this says is that Jesus wiped out your debt. And the way that he wiped out your debt 
wasn't by simply cutting a check. He became sin. And there's metaphysical things we don't understand about that, but the Bible's really clear. When he took on our sin, like he took it on. Like he became murder. He became genocide. He became adultery and lies. He became racism. He became injustice. He became gossip. I always like to throw that in with the bigger ones because it's like, it's destructive, right? When you're talking crap about people, I should, probably shouldn't have said that. But when you're talking badly about people, I could have said another word. I didn't say that. When you're talking bad about people, you really, you know, it's, it's like a pretty evil thing that we do and we kind of all do it. He became all of that so that our debt could be paid. Now, listen, if all Jesus did, if you owe $10 million of sin, and there was no way that you could pay it back. And it separated you from right standing with God. And Jesus came and said, hey, I'm going to pay your debt. We would say, thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. Now I have zero balance. Now I can start over again. Now that's what most religions do, right? Most religions are a way to kind of deal with your sins so you can get to zero balance, whether it's the law, whether it's the fivefold path, whatever it's the pillars, whatever it is. Here's how you try to get to a zero balance. That's not all Jesus did. He didn't just bring us down to a zero balance, because I don't know about you, I'd run up that bill pretty quick again. You know what I mean? It's like if you pay off a credit card, you're like, oh, I could use this credit card. You know, we, we would have done that. But not only did he wipe out our debt, he took the quadrillion or the infinite righteousness that was in his account, and he put it into your account. So he took his righteousness, his right standing with God, and he made it now so that you and Jesus have a joint checking account. And so now you can draw on the righteousness of Jesus. And what that means, right, is you can go through life and you can know that God is with you. You can know that he loves you. You don't have to wonder if he loves you because you're like, well, does he love Jesus? Well, then I know he loves me because I have Jesus's righteousness, right? Is he ever going to leave Jesus? Is he ever going to forsake Jesus? No, he never will. And I know he's not going to forsake me because I have Jesus's righteousness. All the promises, there are thousands of promises in the Bible. They're all yes and amen in Jesus. God has promised to give you a future and a hope. He's promised to bring you into the purpose that he has. He's promised that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. He's promised that he's going to cause all things, whatever you deal with in your life, he will somehow bring good out of whatever your stupidity brings on you, whatever the devil brings on you, whatever mean people bring on you. God says that will not be the final chapter in the book. I will bring good out of each and everything. We can know that we know that we know that if God is for us, who can be against us? He will never leave us. He will never forsake us because Jesus's righteousness has has been put into our account. And so we say, thank you, Jesus. The love of Christ compels us. There's no message like the gospel. You can know that you know that you know that you have righteousness. You have right standing with God. You can boldly come into the throne room because Jesus's righteousness has been credited to your account. There's nothing, I'll tell you what, it is the greatest news. The gospel simply means good news. And I, that's the goodest of all the news. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to, to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me just say this. Listen, in two weeks, when we do our baptisms, what baptisms are, 
are a celebration of the beauty of the gospel. That's what it is. That's the whole the picture of it. Like they go into the, you know, you go into the water and you come out. Your old life is buried with Christ. You're raised to newness of life. Your old bank account with all the, you know, the, the red and the zeros is wiped clean. Jesus' righteousness is in your account. It's a celebration of that. And so I would just say, if you have not been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, get baptized. Worship God and thank God by going through the waters of baptism to say, God, I want to proclaim the wonder and joy of your salvation. I want to proclaim in, in this visual way that Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years, God, that your gospel is like nothing else that's out there. And so I hope that all of you will be here. Bring your friends. They're going to see the people get baptized. They're going to hear the gospel. And if you haven't been baptized, be baptized. And so, you know, the last, the last point is this, is that the more we lean into this, being a Great Commission church— the more fun we're going to have. Serious. The more, listen, there, I, I see, I saw this, I read this quote by C.S. Lewis. I'm, I'm freestyling now. It could be dangerous. But I, this quote by C.S. Lewis, he said, he said, there's no mean person on earth like a religious mean person. Right? Isn't that true? Like a religion can make you mean, but life with Jesus doesn't make you mean. It should make you loving, right? It should make you more like Jesus. And so we want to be a life-giving church. We don't want to be one of those mean religious churches. We want to be a life-giving church because Jesus' life is flowing here through the Spirit. And as we get connected to him, we're experiencing life. Nothing will help us experience life more than being part of the Great Commission Superhighway and seeing more and more people come to Jesus. I can tell you that the best conversations that I have, the things, I love it when I see people get healed. I love it when people take a step in discipleship. I love releasing new pastors to ministry. I love all that. But there's nothing like sitting down with someone and having someone say, and I get this opportunity all the time, and it brings tears to my eyes because it's, it's why we do all the other stuff. That, that when someone says, I came to this church, and, you know, in their own words, but quoting the Bible, I was without hope and without God in this world, but then I met Jesus. And now everything's changed, and my family's changed, and my relationships have changed, and the way I think about everything has changed, and I have a peace, and I have a joy, and I have a life that I was trying to find out there in the world, and no matter how hard I looked, I couldn't find it, but I, but I found it in Jesus. And even when I go through hard things, he gets me through because he's the good shepherd who never leaves me, never forsakes me. There's nothing like in your life group or on your ministry team or whatever it is, people who are recent converts who have just kind of gotten on this Great Commission superhighway. Nothing will make us a life-giving church more than seeing more and more people come to Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 15, 7. He said, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, done, who do not need to repent. And so I want us to be a joy-filled church. I want us to be a church that's rejoicing with the angels. And what Jesus is saying there is that if we want to be a church that brings joy to the heart of God, that makes spontaneous parties happen in heaven, it'll be by us being a church that gets on this Great Commission superhighway and we say, I want to have a new perspective. I want to have a, I want to have a kingdom perspective. And I want to understand that I've been given the ministry of reconciliation and I know that the cross has changed everything. So I'm going to embrace what it means to be a fisher of men and a fisher of women and do my part in my generation to continue the Great Commission. For ever, as ever, you know, until Jesus comes back, and who knows when that'll be. But this Great Commission, the gospel, will continue to be preached. And so we want to be a church that preaches the gospel. And so I want to, I want to give you a little bit of homework. 
And so my homework for you is that you pray and you ask God to give you an opportunity. When's the last time that you really got to be an ambassador? That you were like, hey, I have an opportunity to share something, to say something, to do something that's enabling me to be an ambassador for Jesus. And so I want to challenge you to pray this week, every day, that God will give you an opportunity to be an ambassador. And I bet as you go throughout your day, as you go to work, as you go to the grocery store, whatever it is you do, that you're going to have a moment where the Holy Spirit will probably tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, here's what you've been praying for. And so you'll have an opportunity to just simply tell somebody your story. Say, hey, here's what Jesus did for me. Or maybe you'll have an opportunity to say to someone, hey, let me pray for you right now. You got some pain. You got something going on. Let me, let me pray for you. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to invite someone to come to church with you. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to really actually like explain the gospel, explain to someone what it means that he who knew no sin became sin so that they could become the righteousness of God. Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. And so I want to encourage you to ask. I remember I did this in high school. I got like radically saved my senior year of high school, and I'm trying to be a good witness to, you know, all my, all my classmates and whatnot. And, uh, and I started praying this prayer. And I remember that time, man. It was like every day people would be like, Trollian, what happened to you? Like it used to be normal, but now like you're into Jesus. What happened? And I, w- I would just every single day, I was like, I, I was never normal, but now, you know, Jesus. <laughs> but, but every day I'd have opportunity. It was just something that God taught me that like specifically asking God for opportunities. He'll open up that door. He'll give you those opportunities. So let's ask him. All right. And there's one other thing that I want to, that I want to do here today before we uh, close the service. We're going to have the growth track in a few minutes, step three of the growth track. So I hope many of you will join us in there. But if you have not received the salvation that Jesus offers, if you don't know that his righteousness has been credited to your account, I want to give you an opportunity to accept. That's all you got to do. You don't have to earn it. You just accept the most incredible gift that has ever been presented. And so if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus— and, and just, he already paid for your sins, but now you say, God, I'm going to open up the present. I'm going to open up the gift that you gave me, and I'm going to apply it to my life. Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks, and if you open up the door, he's going to come in. And so I believe that all throughout the service, he's been knocking on the doors of our heart through worship and all sorts of ways. But I believe that, that for some of you, maybe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you receive the most incredible gift. So just close your eyes. And if you're ready to do that, just pray this prayer. The words, the specific words don't matter as much as the state of your heart. Remember, all, you know, all it took for the thief on the cross is he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so just open your heart to Jesus and say something like, Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. Please forgive all of my sins. Give me your righteousness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from here on out, teach me what it means to be an ambassador for your kingdom. And just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer here this morning, just raise your hand so I can see it. All right, awesome. 
I see a number of hands going up. So there's two things, one of two things you can do if you want to. You can check off that you decided to follow Jesus on your connection card, or you can text follow, if you can put that slide up. Follow to, okay, we don't have, there it is. Text follow to 201-584-7188. We've got some stuff that we're gonna send you in the mail. Uh, it's just some things that I think could really help you figure out what does it mean as you walk this out. All right, let's just remain seated. We're gonna pass the offering basket right now. I'm getting trained as to how to do this right. Old dog, new tricks and all. But so we're gonna go ahead, while you're seated, we're gonna pass the, the baskets down. You can put your connection card in that basket as it passes by. You can, uh, if you have a physical offering, you can put it in there as well. We're going to, gonna end with a time of ministry. There'll be some people from the prayer ministry team who will be over here to the right. And so if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. Some of the things that the prayer ministry team had a sense of this morning is that there was somebody here and you've been dealing with pain in your right hip and that God wants to heal you. So if you have pain in your right hip, why don't you come up, let somebody pray for you. Someone else who's been dealing with really debilitating headaches. Uh, I guess, you know, God really wanted to maybe pour out some healing. Someone who's been dealing with arthritis in both hands. Uh, someone else they had a sense who just, you've been carrying a really heavy burden and it's kind of crushing you. And it's kind of an invitation for you to give that burden that you've been carrying to Jesus. So let's stand for a moment. And so God, we just bless your presence. God, we thank you for this incredible gospel. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible invitation that you've given us to be your ambassadors, to partner with you, Lord, as you bring your life and your love to this world. And I just, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint us. God, I pray that you'd give us opportunities this week to, to be your ambassadors, to tell people about you. And Lord, I just pray to you, I just had a sense before that there's, you know, people here and you've got things that you're dealing with in your life and you're looking like right at those things. Like when Peter was trying to walk in the water and he, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And so you're looking at the wind and the waves and you feel like you're sinking. But as we talked about the gospel, as we talked about what it means that you now have become the righteousness of Jesus, that you have right standing with God, Put those glasses on and whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever situation you're facing at it, facing, look at that situation through gospel lenses, knowing that God is for you. God is with you. God is going to make a way. He will never abandon you. He is the good shepherd who carries his lambs close to his heart. And so just whatever it is you're dealing with, may the grace of the Holy Spirit minister to you right now to just rem be reminded that Jesus' righteousness is credited to you, that you have right standing with God, and that everything else pales in comparison to that. And so you can have the peace and the joy that passes all understanding. Receive God's peace. Receive His joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.